Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Uh, Pastor Dave has invited back a, a speaker that you heard about a year ago here, and he's a very gifted teacher. Uh, he, he's a, a, a PhD kind of a guy, but he's got the gift of being able to, to simplify it for minds like mine and to be able to, to relate to everybody on a one-to-one basis. He has uh, been around for a long, long time. He's a writer and an author, has several books that he's put together that are available at deep discount in the, at the table in the back of the room after service. He's a, a, a dear friend uh, of Pastor Dave and has influenced Pastor Dave's reading for many, many years. He's a, a family man. He's a, a devoted follower of Christ and a, a wonderful friend of our ministry. Please give a, a wonderful, warm welcome to Pastor Brian Nixon this morning. Thank you so much. It's always a blessing to be here. And as Steve said, Dave is a good friend, and Steve's a good friend, and I really count uh, this church as a blessing to our community, and so thank you for having me. Let's begin in prayer, and then we're going to jump into a message about God's providence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather here this morning. We pray that as we open up your word and learn about your providence, you would extend to us, Lord, your love and grace and a deeper understanding of how you're working um, in our lives. And we pray for Pastor Dave, just give him a relaxing, restful time on vacation, be with Steve and the whole staff here, and bless this church abundantly, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. January 24th, 2000, started off as an exciting day, a day that was really going to transform my life. You see, my wife, Melanie, was expecting twins. And everything up to that point had seemed like it was going fairly well. We had been to the doctor visits and everything was looking great. And it was on that day I got the call and said, this is it. And for those of you who are dads, you know what that means. It means she's going to deliver this day. So she comes and picks me up. Now, before you get on me about her picking me up, I worked across the street from the hospital. And she was already driving herself. She's a trooper that way. And she just got in the car and drove herself, picked me up, and we went, met with the doctors. And because they were twins, they decided, you know, we're just going to be safe and pull her in a bigger room um, just because twins can have some complications. A little bit later, I found out that the doctor that was delivering the twins, um, this was his first twin delivery. But that was neither here nor there. He didn't let us know that at the time. But they delivered, uh, I mean, they went in the delivery room, a large delivery room, and things were, were seeming to go okay. My focus was on Melanie, my wife. I'm talking to her, and her mom is on the other side, and we're just coaching her. But then a few things started to catch my attention. 
I noticed the doctor went and talked to the nurses, and then, then he went and talked to another doctor. And I was just like, hmm, something may not be right here. And so I said, well, I need to find out. And I go, well, you know, what's, what's happening here? And he said, well, one of the twins is completely breached. He's completely turned around. And he said, so, the, you know, we're getting into kind of an emergency mode. And so he turned on lights, and believe it or not, there's lights, and red lights go on, and more doctors and more nurses come in. And there's a lot of activity going on. The first child, his name was Riley, he, he came out, and I didn't see him at first. And they took him off to the side and started working on him on one table. And Kaylin was turned around, and it was a trial. Let's just say that. And they finally got him out feet first. Um, they were contemplating if they should do emergency surgery, but they, they pulled him out, and they moved him to another table and started to work on him. But no one really came over to me and, and said, you know, here's what's going on, and, and, and I sensed something was, was happening pretty serious. So I walked over to the first table where Riley was and looked down. He didn't look good, and I said, you know, what's going on? They said, well, sir, there's, there's some, some serious problems um, that we need to investigate further. And I said, okay, so they, they shipped him off uh, to the emergency room. And then I walked over to, to Kalen's table and said, well, how's he doing? And they said, well, he, he appears to be doing good. He's having trouble breathing, and he has uh, bradycardia, which is his heart is, is having trouble in its rhythm. So they said, we're just going to take him to another room and, and hook him up. And I go back to my wife and kind of explain to her what's going on, and, and we're just prayerful. We're just saying, well, Lord, you know. You know what's going on. And they got her out of the room, got her patched and mended and put into a, 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 you know, a, a long, longer care facility room. And it was then the doctor walked in. And he didn't have a smile on his face. He had a look of concern, and, and he just shot straight with us. He said, well, I just need to tell you some good news and bad news. The, the good news is your son, Kalen, is doing good. Um, he does have bradycardia, and you know he, he, he'll be on some oxygen for a while. But he said, your other son, Riley, is not doing well. He said, we did further tests, and Riley has what's called Potter's syndrome. We didn't know what that is. And he said, obviously, the pre-pregnancy test didn't pick this up. And I said, well, what's Potter's syndrome? He said, well, your son was born without kidneys. And I said, okay, so how, how are you, you going to fix this? And he basically said, we don't. He said, 99.9% of infants born with Potter's syndrome die. He said, so you have a choice. You could keep him connected to life support and go through the process, or you could pull the life support and let nature and the Lord have his way. And by the way, this doctor was a Christian. And so we had, uh, so we prayed, didn't sleep that night, and the next day we said, okay, we're just going to take him off life support 
and allow the Lord to do what the Lord will. And I remember as the nurse walked in, Riley, and he was swaddled in a little cute uh, blanket, and, and they put him in my arms, and there he sat until he stopped breathing. He went home to be with the Lord. And as you can imagine, it was devastating. We bawled, we cried. And here, 21 years later, I still, I still struggle, and I still have the questions, why, Lord? Why, God, as I'm sitting and looking at this little new life, one day later, struggling to breathe? And it was so much so that I had to hand Riley back to the nurse because I, I just couldn't take it. And I, in a way, suppressed my feelings for so many years. And though I was resolved that the Lord was in control, I, I still was fighting. And then, literally, 20 years ago, I mean, uh, 20 years after, I, I wrote a poem about my experience, a brief poem, and it's, it's in my book that Steve mentioned. Um, it's called For Riley and the Angels. When I held you, my infant child of death, did the angels weep as your mother and I? In their plurality was their unity of sorrow. In their essence, did they foretell your short material existence? an accident in metaphysical language like blue to the sea. But this is charity, O oh child, to hold you but for a moment, letting your last breath be the song my lungs breathe in to sing. In any situation that we go through as human beings, in trials and tribulations, it's natural for us to ask, why God? Why the pain? Why the suffering? Why the heartache? But as Christians, we have the promise that the Lord is leading us in something deeper, more profound. And the word we're going to concentrate on this morning is providence. Providence. And providence tells us that even in the pain, God has a purpose. The word itself, providence, is broken up. It's taken from the Latin and it's broken up into two words. Pro, the prefix, means before or in front of. And the suffix, verde, means to see. So in its base meaning, providence means to see beforehand. You could see something before it occurs. But the biblical definition of providence is much more rich. It's not that God is just sitting before the corridors of time and he's looking down eternity and he's seeing that this is going to happen and Brian and Melanie are going to lose little Riley on this day. It's much more deep. It includes God's working in his people's lives. That God's hands are interacting through his spirit in and through circumstances. In a sense, God is governing and guiding things in life. 
So the Zondervan Dictionary translates providence as this. The universal reign of God is preserving and governing of all things, actions, and people. God is governing. He's guiding history. And when we think of providence, we have to think of two major um, brands or styles of providence. There's what we'd call general providence, and that's God's governance of the universe, the air, the planets, the universe. But then there's specific providence, and that's God governing you and I as his children. God's governing you and I as his children. And there are many scripture texts that talk about God's governing of the universe. But I'm going to use one to highlight God's governing specifically of his children. And it's found in Romans 8, verse 28. And many of you know this. And you should memorize it and underline it and commit it to your heart because it's such an encouraging passage. It says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We're just going to camp out here a moment on that verse. The Apostle Paul wrote this book of Romans, wrote it to the Roman church, so he's writing to Christians. So when he says we in this text, he means fellow Christians, those who are born of the Spirit of God. Paul is saying we, you and I as Christians, we know. And that word for know in Greek is eido, E-I-D-O. And it means sure, to understand, but it means to be sure of. So we Christians know. We understand. We're sure of something. We're aware of this truth. And what is it that we know? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us, all things. And that Greek word for all is pas, P-A-S. And it means all things, whosoever, whatsoever, every whole, in every circumstance, all things, not some of the things, not most of the things, but all things. We know all things, everything. And then here's the key word. Work together. And the Greek word for work together is sunegro. And it's this idea of confluence, of all things coming together for a greater purpose, for a greater plan. And probably the best analogy I could put in your brain is think of some of the mountain ranges around our area. We're blessed and we have beautiful mountains. And you have different creeks and streams that run into a larger river or creek or stream. And then they come down and they either flow into Pecos or they flow into the Rio Grande. And then these rivers run down into the Gulf of Mexico. And then the Gulf of Mexico flows into a larger body of water. That is a mental picture of Sinegro. Of all these things, all these situations, all these circumstances flowing together into a larger body of water. And that's the idea behind Sunegro. 
All things work together. This idea of confluence. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, yeah, we, we know, we understand that all things work together for good. Agathos, meaning benefit or profit or well-being. And you stop and you go, huh, for good, for profit? Ryan, what, what did you profit for, from when Riley died in your arms? I don't know. I can't sit here and tell you I have all the answers. But maybe part of the answer is sharing his story with you this day. Maybe it was something the Lord needed to work and show me in my life. But God is working in all these streams, in all these rivers, for good. And then Paul concludes this verse by saying, to those that love him, those who are called, those who are appointed, according to his purpose, that's his plan. So God is working in your life and in my life, in all Christians' life, for good. He's setting forth his purpose and his plan. So in this one verse, we get the who, what, and why of God's providence. Who's in control? God. What is God doing? He's working all things together. Why? For good. For his good purposes. For his good will. Well, you may be sitting there going, well, that's good. That's one verse in all of the Bible. Are there any other stories that tell us about God's providence? Well, there are. I'll just highlight two found in the Old Testament. Number one is Genesis 37 through chapter 50. And you know the story well. It's the story of Joseph. Joseph is loved by his dad, Jacob. And his dad gives Joseph a coat. And that causes Joseph's brothers to be jealous. They don't like that dad has given Joseph a coat and seems to be treating him a little bit more specially than them. So what do they do? They get upset they kidnap him, essentially, and sell him into slavery. And then the brothers go and lie to dad. Huh, huh, I don't know where he's at. Maybe he just wandered off. They know exactly what they did with him. But while Joseph was a slave, he begins to interpret dreams. And he becomes so good at that, as a supernatural gifting, that he rises up in the court. He begins to take an elevated position. So much so that many scholars believe he becomes the right-hand man of the leading figures of the day. But then famine hits the land. And Joseph's brothers, so they don't starve, have to go down to Egypt to beg for food and for sustenance. And what happens? You know the story. Joseph sees them from afar and, huh, just recognizes them. Yep, these are the guys that sold me in slavery, but 
Little did they know where, where I'm at today. And then, of course, in chapter 45, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And then chapter 50, Joseph says this. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You see, the brothers meant evil. They meant wrongdoing. They wanted Joseph out of the picture, but God meant it for good. God in his providence orchestrated, allowed this bad thing to happen so he could rise Joseph up and Joseph could be a blessing to many. And that's how it is in our life. Through circumstances and situations, God may allow bad to happen or trials or tribulations, but he has an ultimate purpose and plan for you and I. The second story is taken from Exodus chapters 2 through 40, and this is the story about Moses, and many of you know this. Moses' mother gives him up, puts him in a reed boat, sends him down the river, only to be found by maidens of Pharaoh's daughter. They take him, they adopt him essentially, and he's raised as a nobleman. He's raised in a privileged life. But what does Moses do? He rebels against his privileged life. He becomes a wayward, prodigal son, if you will. And not only that, he kills another human being and takes off into the desert, fleeing for his life. And you scratch your head and go, boy, Moses, if you would have just stayed and, and did what you did, you could have had that much more influence and power and money and all of this. But he, he roams the desert as a wanted man, estranged from his known family. But God intervenes, guides the situation, and through Moses, delivers God's people, the Israelites, and brings to us the moral law, what we know as the Ten Commandments, that has influenced the entire world. Moses messed up his own life, but God, working through providence, amends it. So both Moses and Joseph are pictures of God's providence. And if you were to push pause at any moment in their life or in your life or in my life, you would say, where is God in all of this? Why did God allow Joseph to be kidnapped? Why did he allow Moses to rebel? But remind you, God doesn't see things like you and I see, as I mentioned. He's not just sitting there as a, you know, some uninvolved observer looking down the corridors of time. We're like people in a parade who will watch the beginning of a parade, the middle, and the ending of the parade. But, but God's not like that. He's more like the man in the balloon that could see the full picture, where the parade began, where it's at, and where it's going. But as I pointed out, the biblical definition is much more richer. God's not just the person in the balloon, but through his Holy Spirit, he is working in the life of the people in that parade. If 
a flat tire happens, God could orchestrate something to happen. To fix, to mend, to heal. If something breaks down or is hurt, God could send someone to help. So invariably, when we're talking about God's providence and God working in small things, the question always arises, well, where was God when this happened? I know I asked that. And heck, I'm a pastor. I'm a minister. Where, Lord, where, how'd you allow Riley to die? Maybe in your own circumstance or situation, you've asked that question. It's natural for us to ask questions in times of pain. God, why'd you allow this in my life? Why'd you allow this earthquake or this tsunami or this election? Why did I get COVID? Why did I lose my job? All of these things we're asking why, why, why. And the answer is not always easy to explain. But what we can say is that the Bible portrays three major types of God's will that will help you understand possibly how God is working through these situations. And the first part of God's will is his perfect will. And this is God's will that cannot be thwarted. It will happen whether we pray about it or don't pray about it, whether we think good thoughts or bad thoughts, it's going to happen. That's his perfect will. doesn't matter if we're praying about it. As an example, Jesus Christ will return one day. That's God's perfect will. Jesus is going to come. We don't know when. It could be tomorrow. It could be 40,000 years in the future. We just don't know. But one day, Christ is going to come. That's God's perfect will. There's nothing you or I could do to stop Jesus from coming back. He will come back. That's his perfect will. This is where it gets interesting. God also gives prescriptive will. Prescriptive will. And this is the will where God prescribes something for us to do, but then we have a choice to do it or not. Example, in the Ten Commandments, God says, I prescribe, I'm asking you, please don't lie, don't lie. But how many of us have lied? Right, exactly. I know I have. So he's prescribed that I don't do it, but I have the choice to break that will, which leads us to our third will, which is permissive will. Permissive will. And this is where God allows us to break part of his will. He permits it. And why does God permit it? I think it's largely based upon free will. He wants us not to be robots or puppets. He wants us to love him and others freely and genuinely. Just doesn't want robots to do exactly what he says. So my hunch is that in his permissive will, he allows us to do this so that we could ultimately 
accomplish what he wants to do. But it's in this permissive will where providence comes in. It's in God's providence that he is working for and on our behalf. Irregardless if we are abiding by his prescriptive will or not. God is still working providentially in all of this. So think of it this way. God, in his permissive will, allows bad things to happen in spite of his prescriptive will, but will accomplish his perfect will through providence. I know that's a mouthful. A lot to think out. Let me, let me say it again. God, in his permissive will, allows bad things to happen in spite of his prescriptive will, but will accomplish his perfect will through providence. So why did Riley die? I don't know. But I trust that he is working and will continue to work in his providence for his good purposes. So why is there evil? Well, we know why there's evil biblically. Adam and Eve fell. And true, there are consequences to sin and evil. Bad things happen to us. But we have the promise that God takes these bad things and turns them into good. And when we understand God's providence, it is a promise to stand on. And here's something else to think about. Ultimately, God has dealt with evil in one powerful way, in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God's answer to evil and sin in the world. You see, before Christ came, God had a, a chosen people where he was trying to tell them about his prescriptive and perfect will. But these people, the Israelites, kept going off path. They kept going more and more. And the Lord's saying, no, come back here. Prophets are saying, no, come back here. But people are still doing this. They're still getting off on the wrong path. So much so that God had to send his only begotten son and tell them the path. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. I'm the path. I'm the road you need to be on. You see, prior to Jesus coming and prior to even the Ten Commandments that I mentioned with Moses, people did live by faith. There was no law. There was no moral law before Moses. So Abraham, Joseph, all these guys lived by the moral law written and scribed on their hearts. But they kept going off path. So the Lord gave them the moral law. Yet they kept going off path. And then he finally sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the ultimate answer. What we would call the vindication of God. God says, yeah, I've answered sin and evil. It's through my son, Jesus Christ. But even more so, God is still working providentially through his Holy Spirit in all of our lives. Particularly as Christians. Particularly as Christians. So if that's kind of tough for you to put your brain around, let me give you another analogy. 
During the Middle Ages, beautiful cathedrals were built, beautiful churches, beautiful buildings. And we understand that they were built by a master architect. Gorgeous. Well, fast forward, during World War I and World War II, a lot of these buildings were bombed, blown up, destroyed. And so after the war, people had to make a choice. We either destroy the building completely or we try to build. And many of these buildings they tried to save, particularly the churches. So what did they have to do? They had to go back to the original design and purpose of those buildings. They had to find, if they could, the blueprints from the original architect or the means by which they did it. And they did, and some of the buildings were rebuilt. And likewise, in a similar fashion, this is what happened to earth and you and I. God created this beautiful edifice, planet earth and people. But evil and sin came into the world. Bombs destroyed us theoretically or symbolically, if you will. But God is saying, you need to go back to the original blueprints. And the original blueprints are outlined in the Bible. And ultimately, the blueprint of life and death and resurrection for our lives. For in Jesus, we have the blueprint to the pain and the evil and the suffering. And we have the promise that Christ is building his cathedral, his church, you and I. And though bad things may happen to you and to me, Jesus is still, one life at a time, building his cathedral, his church. And though we may not always see it, he is providentially working all these things together, building this new heaven and the new earth until his new kingdom is established. Think of it this way. God is working supernaturally, naturally. And this is providence. God working supernaturally, naturally. He's working in our lives to fulfill something great and grand in building his kingdom. That's you and I. So if you're going through some problems today, some trials and tribulations, maybe you're asking, why me? What, why am I going through this pain and suffering? Why did I lose my job? Why is my health so bad? Let me close with the story of a girl by the name of Christina Bowers that I had the privilege to minister to. Christina Bowers was a 10-year-old student at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, and I was superintendent of schools and a pastor there at the time. She was a wonderful kid, wonderful girl. One day, Mom made an appointment with me and said, Brian, I just need to tell you that they've diagnosed uh, an aggressive form of brain cancer. And we're going to tackle it head on, and there's going to be some really hard treatment. So over several months, Christina went through a surgery, 
and then chemo and in radiation. And I remember her to this day. I would go to the hospital, the children's hospital there in Orange County, and we would throw balls in the hall, and I would talk with her, and I would tease and, and just have a great time. And for a little bit, she went into remission. I remember going to a park for her birthday and just being there with her and so excited that things seemed to be turning around. But then the cancer came back, and it came back with a vengeance, so much so that she started to fail health-wise in, in many ways, and they, they put her back into the hospital. And one Sunday morning, just like a Sunday morning like this, I got a call from the church, and it was Christina's mom. And she asked me, please, to rush down to the hospital. So I did. I got in my car, and I went straight to the hospital. And as I came into her room, Christina died. There was her mom and her dad and myself standing over Christina's body, and we all began to cry. And of course, the question in my mind was, why, God? She was doing so well. Why did you allow this beautiful young lady die? And her parents, and I'm trying to console them. And, and really, we were just kind of a mess. And I was looking for, God, how are you working in this situation? What are you doing? And I picked up Christina's hands to hold her dead hands. And it was there that I looked at her fingernails. On one hand, she had painted with fingernail polish, I, heart, little heart, God. And I looked at the other hand, and she had painted Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. -S. And though I didn't understand why God was allowing this to happen, I knew in that moment Jesus was with her. That he was going to use this moment in time in his providence because he had greater purpose. God was not absent in Christina's death. God was not absent in my son Riley's death. He was there. In the midst of the pain and suffering, Jesus was there. Jesus, like he was 2,000 years ago, is the answer. And Jesus is still the answer. And he is still working providentially in your life and in my life. And just like Christina's painted words of hope were on his, her hands, God has you and I as believers in his hands. He wants you to know that you are with him and he is with you. You're in God's hands. He has a plan and a purpose for you working through his providence. So the question is, how do we rely on God in tough times? How do we, particularly in today's day and age, we live in very, very, very 
rough waters? How do we navigate these waters? I just leave you with two thoughts, and then I'm going to ask Steve to come forward and lead us in communion. But the first is replace the unknown with the known. I don't know why Riley died. I don't know why Christina died. And in your life, you, you may not have all the answers, but replace the unknown with what is known, that God loves you, that he sent his only begotten son, that we have faith and hope and love and one another. Rest in those areas and what is known and commit the unknown to God. One day it'll be revealed. I'm looking forward to that day when I could see Riley. I'd say, boy, you've changed since I held you. But the second is move from a troubled mind to a trusting mind. Many of us in today's day and age are troubled about a lot of things. Politics, health, jobs, economy, retirement. But move from a troubled mind to a trusting mind. Trust that God in his providence is working all things together for good. You may not have all the answers, and we're not supposed to, but he does. And we just have to understand we are the safest and most secure when we're in his hand. And he's leading us providentially. There's nowhere else better to be than in the loving hand of our God and Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful scripture text. We thank you, Lord, for your promises that you are providentially building guiding and governing all things, Lord, not just the universe, but us as individuals. And I pray for anyone, Lord, who's going through a hard time, troubled times. After last service, Lord, there were tears of people. And I pray that you would minister in a unique way in every single person's life here. And we pray that you would just be glorified as Pastor Steve comes forward and leads us in communion. Let it be a time, Lord, that we could just remember your ultimate sacrifice and as a reminder that you're providentially working in and through our lives. And we commit this into your hands. In Christ's name. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time... May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.